Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Tomorrow is primary election day in California, or rather the last day of voting, because many people have already voted by mail or have cast their ballot at vote centers. Polls will be open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Californians using mail-in ballots must have them postmarked by June 7th. They can also be dropped off at polling places or secured ballot drop-off boxes. Not registered to vote yet? Well, same-day registration is also an option in California, but those ballots will be counted after officials have completed their voter verification process. To vote in Tuesday's primary election, Californians must be at least 18 years old and a U.S. citizen, but you don't need to have a permanent address to cast a ballot. Cap Radio's Chris Nichols has more on how people experiencing homelessness can vote. Sacramento County election officials have already sent out more than 450 ballots to unhoused residents who live at shelters or use a service provider's address. But county spokesperson Jana Haynes says people who are homeless can also register at any local vote center and they don't have to submit a numerical address. It can be an intersection, a, you know, a street corner, a park or some other identifiable landmark that they are used to, that they reside by, and we can issue them a ballot in their name in that specific precinct so that they can cast a ballot for the election. Chris Williams spent several years living on the streets but now has a home. While he didn't vote then, he says more unhoused people should. If you want some change, you have to say something. You have to vote. You have to tell somebody you want to vote. You have to figure out how to input your little foot in there and make some type of change. Californians, no matter their address, can register to vote up to and including on Election Day. For the California Report, I'm Chris Nichols in Sacramento. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. 
Thanks. Recently, a few dozen black Californians gathered in Oakland to discuss their visions for reparations. It was the first listening session hosted by the state task force studying reparations for descendants of enslaved Americans. The task force has already heard from academics and other experts about how state sanctioned discrimination has affected the lives of black Californians. The task force released a report on those findings last week. Now in partnership with community groups, the task force is exploring what state reparations might consist of. And to answer that question, it's using these community listening sessions like the one in Oakland. KQED was at the first listening session, and here's some of what we heard. My father was born in Mobile, Alabama. My mom was born in Macomb, Mississippi. They still remember Cujo Lewis, one of the last slaves to be brought over from West Africa. Reparation should look like people working together so then we can actually achieve the goal. And I thank you for letting an old Asian lady um, be able to speak up here um, because I really do believe oppression on any group of folks is really harmful to everybody's lives and souls. Because we're trying to bring a people out of the hole that slavery and Jim Crow and all of that terrorism within the United States has brought them. We talk about reparations for enslavement, Jim Crow, and now, and reparations, what does it look like? Compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, satisfaction, and guarantees of non-repetition at least. When we talk about 40 acres and a mule, order number 15 from General Sherman, what we're talking about is expropriation of land. That was a order from the United States military, and the military is now sending $40 billion over to Ukraine, but they didn't give us our land yet. My great-grandfather was a sharecropper, but really what I came up here to say is, uh, I'm a businessman and all I care about is the numbers. I care about cutting the check. The cost of reducing class sizes so that our kids can get the personal attention and the support that they need, that to me would be one of the ways in which we can provide reparations because when this boat rises for black folk, it rises for everybody. I mean, I think black folk, you know, we're still here. Uh, we've lost half of our population in the last um, 30 years or so, but it's, we're still here. Um, so that's the first piece. The second piece is a question um, around the genealogy work. And we're talking about blacks who have descended from American chattel slavery, and that's an important distinction, right? Because these are legal claims that we're asking and bringing to the government. I think that's an important part that you do not hear necessarily and why a lineage standard is so essential versus a racial standard. We have been here for a very long time, and as one of the representatives that we helped said, when she puts her fingers in the soil, she can feel the blood of her ancestors there. When you go back and actually make these discoveries, it repairs something in you. It takes a separation and it brings it back together. And what this coalition is doing is a Herculean effort. And I have full faith that we'll all come into fruition. But I want to remind us, come hell or high water, we will survive. That is what we do.
Those were the voices of people who spoke at the first listening session of California's Reparations Task Force. Our thanks to Amanda Font, who produced it, and Annalise Finney, who contributed reporting. The next task force listening session will be held in L.A.'s Lamert Park neighborhood over Juneteenth weekend. The task force's plan for reparations is expected to be released in the summer of 2023. And an update to a story we've been following in the Central Valley. At least 21 oil wells have now been found to be leaking methane in or near two neighborhoods in Bakersfield since the middle of last month. Repairs are at various stages of the nearly two dozen leaking wells, some of which have emitted dangerous levels of methane. Todd Sachs is part of the California Air Resources Board Enforcement Division. As part of the investigation, Um, We will be inspecting wells in the community to confirm all leaks have been repaired. If we find additional leaks, we will also be sampling for volatile organic compounds and selected air toxics. We have heard community concerns about closed oil wells underneath properties in the community. We have methane monitoring equipment and can use it to screen for methane in yards and at the foundation of homes. Now, none of the leaks have yet been classified as a public health risk, although officials are still awaiting test samples taken in the neighboring communities. The Bakersfield Fire Department's initial readings did not detect methane in the surrounding areas. Sachs was asked by community members about how often state regulators do inspections and if certain areas need to be prioritized. We're willing to work with community folks to help um, look at areas that are priorities for them. And then ultimately, we do have a request in the budget, both for additional resources to do more inspections, um, but also to fund a satellite that would have 30 meter by 30 meter resolution, be able to see leaks of methane of 50 kilograms per hour. These types of leaks that we're talking about in these fields would be picked up by that satellite. The problem of idle wells in California's oil fields has been a growing issue in the state. Regulators have been pushing to have those wells filled with concrete and plugged permanently and as quickly as possible. But at least one of the oil companies involved in the Bakersfield leaks has appealed that state order. And that is the California Report for Monday, June 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and tune in tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading!
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 